Welcome to Sisters in Stoke. I'm your host, Megan Burks, a certified professional coach specializing in ADHD and embodiment practices, steel mace flow enthusiast, and recovering perfectionist whose life has been guided, for better or for worse, by the motto, let's fuck around and find out. On this podcast, I interview women and those who identify as women who have done just that and whose honesty, bravery, vulnerability, and curiosity have helped them find their stoke, the thing that lights them up and has shaped their relationship with their body, their spirit, and the world around them. I share the stories that inspire me so that you too can find your stoke. Hello and welcome back to the Sisters in Stoke podcast. I am your host, Megan Burks, and I have with me today somebody who I've actually known for quite a long time. I think it's been about 13 or 14 years. Um, I have today Shawnee Hyde, who is a digital marketer by day, dancing clown by night. Shawnee has already lived about 80 different lives in her short 40 years with no sign of stopping anytime soon. She's been a travel writer, budding TV star, local roller derby legend, and competitive eater. She is an Australian national hide-and-seek representative showcased in the Australian Sports Museum under the hallowed grounds of the MCG, to name a few. Never one to say no, the eternal jack-of-all-trades, Shawnee lives life with the try-everything-once mentality, almost certainly fueled by hopefully soon-to-be-diagnosed ADHD. Unsurprisingly, she has broken more bones than five people on average would break in a lifetime. If rehab were a competitive sport, she'd be on the podium. A self-described calculated loose cannon, it might surprise you to learn that Shawnee preaches the benefits of rest and self-care. It's all about balance, metaphorically, of course, as anyone with that many broken bones probably lacks it physically. Shawnee, welcome to the podcast. And the first question for you is, tell me, what are you stoked about? Hey, thank you for having me on. Um, I'm I'm stoked about being on this podcast. Yeah. Um, what am I currently stoked on? Um, I just turned 40, actually. Uh, so uh, that's a, a pretty big milestone that a lot of people, I think, are a bit, a bit scared to enter, uh, especially women. Um, so I'm actually really, really stoked on what life in my 40s is going to look like. Actually, I'm excited at the prospect. And um, turns out, by the way, I don't know, I, I think you might know this, but turns out everything they told me was wrong. Yeah, it's all a big fucking fat lie Yeah, so that we have to keep spending money to keep the economy going, basically, is my take, mm. my hot take on why there is such confusion about what 40 actually feels like. I know certainly in my experience, I'm 44 and my life just keeps getting better yeah I hear this from pretty much all like all women I speak to that it's only just beginning um I don't know whether we're just collectively uh you know <laughs> kidding ourselves I don't think so um but yeah and and also the surprise from people like oh you don't look 40 or you don't act 40 and I'm like actually what what is that meant to look like or meant to act like? Because apparently I'm not it. So I'm, yeah, I'm pretty excited to to see how far I can uh, keep pushing those those expectations and breaking them. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully with not so many broken bones, but you yeah. never know. <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I think I'm hope, hopeful that I've gotten over uh, the majority of those, but hey, there's plenty more bones to break. No, exactly. And you never know. So um. I met Shani, for those of you who are listening in, we skated together at Sosi Roller Derby, which seems like, well, it was a lifetime it's ago. About, yeah, it's 13 years ago. I think we both started in 2010. Yeah, I think we were the, because I had a, I had a little, like a baby and mm -hmm. he just turned 14. So I'm like, okay, okay, well, that gives me a bit of a reference. Um, I was terrified of you on the track. <laughs> I was, I was terrified of most people on the track, to be totally honest. Um, but I do remember when I first met you, I just loved your energy and your spirit and the positivity that you brought to the league and to the sport. And then watching you, stalking you online over mm -hmm. the last 10 years. And it was really, it was really funny for me because I often joke 
that as a woman with ADHD, you can scroll back through my Instagram page since I started it and look at all my different hyper-focuses and obsessions. (laughs) (laughs) It's this like digital catalog of like, oh, this is when I was obsessed with mushrooms and this is when (laughs) I was obsessed with crocheting, you know? And I love that. And I scrolled back through yours yesterday. Many Mm -hmm. of these things that you've mentioned here in your bio that we're going to talk about the hide and seek, for example, is the one that most people are like, tell me a little bit more about that. I didn't realize this. Yeah, was that's a what sport. the fuck moment. <laughs> yeah. And there was, you know, you had CrossFit. There's CrossFit as well. Oh, yeah, there. I forgot about that. You see, <laughs> there's CrossFit, uh, synchronized swimming with the clams. Oh, so yes. Oh, yes. That was another one that I love to see. And then obviously, at the moment, you're on stage a lot as the pomme de terre, which for anyone who doesn't know, that is a potato. It's pomme, the French yes. word. Um, so tell me a little bit, I guess the first question I have for you is that there are people who are naturally inclined to just kind of throw themselves into life. And then there are people who have to learn that skill and who have to kind of practice it, you know, have you always been someone who's just like, yep, I want to try all the things. Um, I think uh a little bit of both uh I think I think I'm naturally a curious uh curious person and I've always been a bit of an adventurer or wanting to push the boundaries um I'm a I'm a natural redhead and any natural redhead out there uh will uh understand being a bit weird and a bit fiery and um yeah just yeah just not not quite like the other kids I guess (laughs) (laughs) um but I, I just, I've also been a really anxious person my whole life. So um, that's why I describe myself as a calculated loose cannon because I'm I'm one person who actually weighs up the risks. Um, but one of the risks that I do weigh up alongside everything else is the what if I don't do this? Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty good at looking at stuff from a, uh, a kind of a, a really broad perspective of like what's the worst that could happen, like which can be terrifying because if you actually go down the path there's so many pathways your mind can go down um and I think my anxiety manifests in being able to see all of those pathways all at once which is which is a really fun trait of mine um (laughs) but realistically like you can also go what's the worst that could happen like if I don't do this it actually might be might be worse um so yeah I've kind of always been someone who's just willing to try something at least once when I was a um, competitive food eater, which was in there, um, it kind of went to uh, being more weird food based, like by weird, by Western standards, you know, um, what people would say, oh, at. Um, I was very much, I don't think you should ever knock anything until you try it. Yeah. So, uh, that's kind of my my mantra in life with, with some rules around that, obviously. Uh, yeah. You know, ethically. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's got to be a little bit of a moral compass in there somewhere. Yeah, but I don't know whether it is learned or natural, nature versus nurture. Um, I think, yeah, I think some people are just more like risk-averse than others and some people are more adventure- adventurously inclined. And you can probably learn it, I would say. Uh, it's Look, I think it's definitely a skill that you can cultivate to some extent I think there is a natural inclination there sometimes but something you just said that's really important is that with my clients for example when they talk about taking a risk whether they're talking about you know relationships a business trying a new sport trying death diving you know something really extreme not so extreme but to them, it feels like a risk. So first of all, everybody's perception of risk is totally individualized. But what you've already done naturally is what I have to teach them to do, which is to say, well, what is the risk of not trying this? And that is something that is a skill that you can learn. And also, I encourage people to think about those worst case scenarios, which is sometimes counter to the popular culture toxic positivity raise your vibration don't think about Mm. that but when we think about those worst case scenarios and then we can ask ourselves okay if these things were to happen they probably won't but if they do do I have like the tools skills and resources I Mm. need to deal with that yeah most of the time you do yeah it's it's definitely about looking at the risk and and trying to mitigate it uh, as best you can for example when I um, quit my full-time job to pursue uh, travel writing uh, which that's another (laughs) 
um, of my life that um, RIP after after the pandemic. After the pandemic, but, yeah. Um, but you know, when I did that um, and moved to entirely freelance um, digital marketing, I, I left my cushy head of marketing role at a corporate uh, company to go entirely freelance. But in part of doing that, I do risk myself by moving back in with, um, you know, people in a share house in in my early thirties, which I said I would never ever do again. Um, you know, which comes with another set of risks, I guess. Um, but yeah, I guess taking the leap, but in a calculated way has been a lot of the way I do things. Yeah. So I want to dig into, because I know this time is going to go very, very quickly. And there's so <laughs> many things that I want to ask you about. So the first one I want to ask about, just because I know people are going to be like, why didn't you ask her about this? Because I want to hear more about it. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the hide and seek. Amazing. Yeah, it's the gift that just keeps on giving um, that story. <laughs> Believe it or not, I think it was six years ago now. Uh, it might be eight. I don't know. My memory is not particularly great there. Uh, it comes up every year as an amazing memory on like Facebook. Um, but the long story short is a bunch of friends found out about the fact that there was the World Hide and Seek Championships and they were to be held in Italy. Uh, and they were held every year for eight years. Like it was the eighth year that we like were planning on going to it um we gathered a ragtag bunch of uh australians now your listeners can't see that i'm doing that in inverted commas um because by the time we had to gather everyone in uh, a remote town north of lake como uh a number of those people had just maybe lived in australia at yeah. some point um, but most of us came from from here i i was the only one coming from uh, nam in Melbourne and the rest were um, mostly Sydney based. And then we had one Swede and one person from England. Um, the World Hide and Seek Championships is played much like you imagine any hide and seek game with uh, seekers and hiders. Uh, we were the hiders. Uh, so <laughs> seekers were um, these very strapping Italian rugby players. Um, oh, hello. <laughs> which uh, we can link, we can definitely link your audience to. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but if you've ever played the game of 4040, uh, where you have to get back to a, a base, uh, that's how it kind of worked. You had five minutes hiding in a field behind all these obstacles. Now, this field was in, uh, it was a big field with lots of crazy obstacles, like just some things like hay bales, but like there was a cut out cow and there was like a, in one of them, there was a bed frame and a port loo and like really fun stuff. Um, but the view below it was of Lake Como (laughs) and the Italian Alps and above the field was the ghost town of Consorno uh, which is like an old casino ghost town like so it's the most ridiculous location Um, there were 300 competitors from 30 different countries across 80 teams that converged on a field in Italy um, and all adults just playing a game of hide and seek over the course of a weekend. Um, it's it's the craziest thing I've ever done in my life. Like it, looking back, I just remember sitting there and just watching a bunch of adults playing in a field from all over the world and just thinking what the heck is going on. But when we got back to Australia, um, a number of us were pretty good at the old media uh, shindig and we we reached out to a number of news outlets and um, we ended up being on every single um, news outlet in Australia you can think of and some in Italy and across Europe um, and we still get called up by, you know, ABC Radio Darwin or something like that going, <laughs> what, are you guys, what are you guys doing next? Because um, the team that did it also did the bottle boat, um, the bottle boat race. Well, not, it's not a bottle boat race. It's the boat race in Darwin, but they took a bottle boat up there. So they're, they're known for doing some crazy antics um so yeah we we kind of ended up across all the media on all the morning shows and it's literally just kept going like for to the point where the Australian uh sports museum under the MCG called us and said we'd like to put your uniform in the MCG uh so we're in there and they use they use it um to train up all the staff because they're all volunteers and mostly they get um kids coming through and the reason they use that our uniform is because kids don't really give a shit about the rowing team or no. you know all those things. But you know what they do give a shit about? Hide and seek, baby. And seek. <laughs> yeah, they understand it. So they get their eyes they get, get really wide and they're like, oh my God, I, you mean I can play 
hide and seek. <laughs> Look, the, re the reason I asked you about that is, is first of all, because I think it's like, it's, it's fascinating. It's something that most people don't even know exists. I love hearing about weird and wacky sports that people play. I've got a couple guests coming up who play sports that nobody's ever heard of. And it's just fascinating to me. But also, like, as you're talking about that many adults traveling, some of them quite far, mm. to go and play, mm -hmm. how important is that? Like, there's there's so much, there's so much seriousness around sport, um, sometimes, especially here in Australia. And oh, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Like I get that competitive sport at an elite level and a high level is a career choice. And so much of your life has to be so focused on that. But there is also this whole element of the fact that sport can just be fun. Absolutely. And I mean, at the end of the day, the sad part about it is that there hasn't been another hide and seek championship since. <laughs> I mean, then because the pandemic happened, the next year didn't like happen after after we went, and um, then yeah, all this stuff happened in the world, so it was a bit sad because we were ready to go play again, obviously, um, if we could get it to happen, um, because yeah, like it's 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 a very big event, but it's also very not a serious event, yeah. Um, but yeah, people made the time and put the effort into actually getting to this location just to play this game. Um, which is just it's wild absolutely wild oh my gosh I will be linking some clips to that in the socials for this so that people can go and see some of the interviews where you're speaking about it because yeah I just love seeing it like I just I loved I was screaming at a lot of screens when you were sharing some of the media that came out afterwards because I just found it it was just so fun it's so fun and we all need a little bit more fun in our lives I yeah. don't think there's anyone who doesn't benefit for a bit more fun um now at the moment, you are working full time, so you're you're a digital marketer. Part time, I, I, part time. I, sorry, I do, I do work full time, but I because I work freelance across a number of clients, it never yeah. really feels like a full time. Well, it does because I'm tired uh, and context switching constantly. But at the same time, I have really big flexibility. So um, I actually I wouldn't be able to tell you how many hours I work a week uh, on either of my jobs, but yeah, yeah, all of them. It's well, I know I know for me my like my hours go up and down it's really funny because I spent a lot of my 30s thinking like right it's time to buckle down and find a career mm -hmm. and now in my 40s and I do a lot of different jobs and I wear a lot of different hats and I know that for my ADHD brain that is what I need to stay interested in my own life like I'm just not someone who's going to go do this one thing sometimes I'm envious of that because there are challenges that come mm. with waking up every day and being like who am I today where do I have to go mm. who do I have to speak with what you know what role am I playing but I also love that mm. but I also know from watching you on socials you're you're on stage a lot at the <laughs> moment like you you're busy so tell me about the pomme de terror. Yeah, yeah I um, I picked up uh, probably partway, halfway through the pandemic, I went through a um, a little, well, not a little, I went through a pretty devastating breakup, um, which happened to a lot of people, uh, you know, in the pandemic, especially kind of that during, in, in Melbourne, during that that middle of those two big swathes of lockdowns. Um, I think a lot of people had to reassess, um, you know, their lives and their relationships and, and all that, and that happened. I was certainly not immune to that. Um, I had been, so I, I moved in by myself, long story short, and I, I was looking for a, um, a bit of an outlet and uh, creatively because travel writing um, had come to a complete halt. Um, a friend of mine actually uh, encouraged me to come along to uh, a burlesque class with her. And I had been involved in the burlesque um, community many, many years before that, um, mo mostly stage managing and kind of being, um, you know, pretty pretty heavily involved in helping my friend stage manage and produce shows, um, which I loved. And before that, had a pretty decent stint in musical theatre and dance and have always just been, you know, in some way, shape or form performing. Um, so yeah, I said, absolutely. And I just, I really fell in love with the art form. Mm. Uh, and I love, remembered that I love dancing and, and all that. And it, and it all just was a bit of fun for a bit. And then the, <laughs> we got thrown into lockdown and I was, um, then I was dancing in my living room a lot and doing as many uh, online classes as I could get my hands on just to keep myself sane. Um, so when we came out, um, I, 
I kind of just bit the bullet and said, fuck it. Um, you know, I, I'm doing all these group performances and stuff, but I, I know I have what it takes to be on stage solo um, and I love performing and why don't I give this a crack this time? So I did. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's actually been really so, like surprising to me, to be honest, like the, the imposter syndrome is something I'm certainly not immune to, especially if you know how talented everyone is. Um, and I'm very lucky that my uh, creative visions and my stagecraft uh, have, yeah, got me pretty regularly booked as a burlesque slash cabaret slash MC, you know, all of those niche little stage things. And yeah, I get to perform uh, quite often. As Pom de Terra, which I is it. yeah, it means potatoes, uh, kind of in French, just with the terra added on in case anybody you know yeah. doesn't speak French because I certainly don't. <laughs> no. So tell tell us <laughs> the next. I think obvious question here is tell us about this potato character <laughs> and burlesque because this is like I mean. I'm not someone who's heavily involved in the burlesque scene in every way, but I am, I'm adjacent to it. I see a lot of it. I've got friends that perform in it and have watched the art form get, I think the respect that it deserves as an art form. I have watched from the outside. I don't know what it feels like on the inside. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but I have watched such an increase in diversity and representation and inclusion and something I have seen shift across all forms of media over the last decade has been this ability for performers to actually take ownerships of the platforms and to have a lot more say in the narratives. There's still definitely issues there. No one's denying that, but there has been this, this change and this shift and your characters in particular are not what most people would think of when they think, you know, like <laughs> no, for people that no, don't not. know anything about burlesque, you say burlesque, they're probably going to think Dita Bontis. Like that's going to be the one person they can kind of think of and associate if it's Absolutely. not an art form that they're familiar with. So your characters are really different. Your scary clown is horrifying. <laughs> it is, it is so terrifying, but I love it because of that, because it's so different and it's so unique. So Tell us a little bit about, I guess, who are some of your favorite characters that you get to play and the roles? And what's your, what's your creative process? What's your development process for when you're like, yeah, this is, I'm going to run with this one. Gosh, that's, um, that's such a, a good question. It's also really hard to answer. Yeah. Um, I, I, so what I do uh, is you would call, you describe my form of burlesque that I do, neo-burlesque, um, which is, uh, I guess, just a true means new burlesque. But, yes, when you do think about it, a lot of people, um, you know, that aren't, they might aren't in the scene, um, they might think of Dita Von Teese, uh, Praise Queen Dita, obviously, and um, they might think of that movie uh, with Cher and Christina Aguilera. Yeah. <laughs> He has one burlesque number in it. Um, it's more of a cabaret, it should have been called, but I guess that was taken. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, I mean, burlesque as an art form has definitely um, shifted from from the just the glitz and glamour and rhinestone beauty, which has a, a wonderful place in classic burlesque. is just divine to watch. Um, but, yeah, I, I tend to fall in, the, in more of the realm of the weird you, what you, would, you would also say that mine is very influenced by drag, um, which is also obviously having a bit of a moment, mm. uh, and so it should. It's an amazing art form, uh, and they do meld together. I do uh, do a form of drag-lesque because uh, mine often involves the lip sync as well and uh, drag makeup. In terms of uh, coming up with stuff, like well, the one you are referencing before, which people might not know, is that I actually dress as a potato on stage. Um yeah. Literally, she dresses as Literally. a potato, everyone. This is not a yeah. metaphor. It's not, no. And it's also not really a metaphor, the whole act, because people are like, what does it mean? And I just really love potatoes. Um, yeah. it, it is that deep. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was Shani's love language. For anyone who's listening to this and starts following her on social media, please send her memes about potatoes. And, and oh, Always, potatoes. yes. I will always, always. Means about cats, potatoes, and Henry Cavill. Um, <laughs> these are my these are my love languages. Um, but yeah, look, uh, the the whole 
the whole way I come about stuff. Uh, it's interesting to hear about how different people come through two things through, um, you know, their own creative processes. Often I'll, I'll have a, 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 probably just an idea or a notion of what I want to portray on stage. Um, like, for example, at the moment I'm developing one because I'm a ginger that has to do with sunscreen. <laughs> and I'm developing that around putting sunscreen on and how can I make that sexy? Because Bella still has the art of the teeth in it, like, and yeah. doesn't have to be sexy. But, uh, you know, you are still uh, taking your clothes off in a form of narrative. Uh, yeah hopefully evoke some sort of emotion and uh, some sort of delight in the crowd. So coming up with that, like sometimes it'll just, just be me hearing a song and being like I could groove to this in some sort of way or it's a character I want to embody because that's a classic 80s kid <laughs> up in the 90s. Uh, you know, we've got a plethora of cult uh, characters at our disposal that we know really deeply. Like, for example, my clown is Pennywise, the clown from It!, um, and I'm scared of clowns, by the way. So, um, yeah, spooky season is about to come uh, on, on us and I will be a clown for most of it. Uh, so I, once again, am Stockholm syndroming myself into liking clowns. <laughs> um. <laughs> Exposure therapy. Yeah. But, the, <laughs> but in saying that the art form itself uh, has become a lot more diverse, which is absolutely wonderful, I think you can say in, in Melbourne, I'm pretty new to the scene, so I'm certainly no expert in it. Um, there are people who are much more um, advised than I, and I'm making sure that I educate myself um, across it, but I'm not someone who can speak to it in uh, a sense that I feel I'm an expert. But um, the fact that in Melbourne there, there are quite like a, if there's a few schools and places that you can learn, um, like Maison Burlesque and Bottoms Up Dance, for example, um, they are incredible places for anyone to go and learn how to not just do burlesque, but the art of it itself is quite empowering in loving your body and exploring how your body moves and showing off your body if you choose to um, and finding creative ways to do that. And that is literally for any anybody, no matter the their their sexual identity, their gender, their um, size, their age, you know, anything, uh, their ability, all the, all the teachers that I'm aware of are very good at, at catering to that. And it's just a beautiful uh, thing to see, especially when you go to like one of the big showcases that the schools put on, you get to see people of, from everywhere um, being celebrated uh, for, you know, doing something that they love and yeah it's it's there's joy in that and there's joy in the play of it and I think you can probably see a bit of a theme in the things that I like to do yeah yeah and <laughs> I mean yeah, that kind of joy and I think that it's you know I've, I've spoken about this on the podcast before watching how the the dance space has changed because as someone who danced for a long time mm. as a kid who loved who wanted to be a dancer who was tall and stocky and I got muscles like I do not have a body type that back in the 80s and 90s especially in classical ballet was ever gonna be oh me either I was told to my mom was told by my ballet teacher as a kid to um put me into tap immediately (laughs) uh, because I would never be a ballet dancer because I had a the worst feet she'd ever seen and no turnout and I should never do ballet yeah. <laughs> well and that was it they were like well this is the end I mean and this is yeah. like you know young girls dreams being shattered absolutely basically. and when I look now at the dance space whether it's burlesque or modern or or even ballet there's been so much change there and there's so much more representation there's so much more opportunity and the opportunity exists now in this world where if you don't find a space that you fit in you can go create your own and there's going to be other people that will vibe with that, that will connect with that. And you get to put yourself out there. But both of those dance schools that you just mentioned, Maison Burlesque and Bottoms Up Dance, I will link those in the show notes as well, because they are spaces that are welcoming and are inclusive. And for women in particular, I think when we can add this layer of fun and joy to an experience where we are connecting with our bodies it gives us this whole new perspective that really shifts us into that curiosity around oh 
I wonder what I can do. I wonder what feels good. I wonder what I like. I wonder how I can, as opposed to the experience that so many of us have had for so long, which is making our bodies wrong and criticizing them and looking only at what they can't do and how they don't fit in. And I just think that those experiences, and I'd love for you to speak to this, those experiences of showing up, putting yourself out there, how does that flow on to the rest of your life? Mm. Good question. Uh, I had, um, I spent the whole of uh, 2022, 20, 23 financial year. I, I like to, pinpoint my years by financial years for some reason yeah. in my brain. I don't like the new year. Um, so I, I had like a motto last year um, that, and it's probably part of why I have um, been as su successful, you know, depending on what my version of success, my version of success to me last year in terms of performing was um, just being able to get on some, a few stages, like put um, some solo acts out. And, and I, I outperformed that. Um, by vastly, to be honest, um, much to my surprise. But my motto and my mantra last year was, if you don't ask, you don't get. Um, and I kind of approached it a little bit like um, how a man my age, mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a middle-aged white lady. Um, I, I'm, as far as the lottery goes, um, I'm pretty high up on the lottery. I understand that and I understand my privilege. Um, mind you, I am also a, a woman. Uh, and a queer woman at that so uh, you yeah. know but at the end of the day um I'm a I'm a skinny white bitch so uh <laughs> I understand that um I do have a certain sense of privilege and I did approach it trying to uh be what would a middle-aged white man do yeah uh, and so I did approach it and to some extent it it definitely worked now I also understand that I had like years of craft behind me but I also understand that what audiences still like to see um and they're being pushed at um you know experiencing that diversity is they still see a lot of people who look like me on stages so that is not something I am going to ignore and I am I am grateful for that but for me but I'm not I I'm loving seeing the as you mentioned that increase in diversity on stage because if people can't see themselves on stage they're not going to push themselves to do it yeah um so I've had the privilege of seeing myself on stage so it wasn't as hard um the one thing I haven't had the privilege of and I've been you know learning to create I'm a woman in STEM as well so uh, that's something that in my lifetime has only or my career lifetime has only been moving forward as women like me champion other women uh, and by women like me I don't mean skinny white bitches I mean all women, women. yeah are, yeah <laughs> how they identify like any woman um you know it's, it's self-identified or uh cis um so yeah I'm probably getting all my terminologies wrong by the way so I apologize if I'm offending anyone but um I hope you get the the sense of what I'm trying to say here um and this this financial is mantra is um do things that you're scared of actually which is you know very much a, a theme uh, that I, I carry through my life already, but I'm trying to like push myself a little bit further uh, to to not just sit in my comfort zone, uh, I guess, because it is easy once you start getting, especially in performance, you start getting booked for one kind of thing mm. and, and you're like, oh, I'll just, you know, create a few silly things uh, and put them out on stage when realistically I'm actually trying to push myself as a performer a little bit more, uh, not just hide behind the, the the comedy that I do quite well and uh, push boundaries into into some more um, things that scare me, I guess, like being overtly sexy on stage. Terrifying. Good. Uh, you just answered my question. My question was <laughs> going to be, so what scares you? Because I know that from the outside, for anyone listening in on this conversation or for people that follow you online, they're looking at you and you're like, oh, she's brave. Like she's she's already so out there and they probably can't imagine like, God, like the things you're doing or what would scare them. And again, this goes back to everybody's own idea of comfort and discomfort and those things. So t I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. So that scares you. And what, where do you think that fear comes from? Yeah. <laughs> um Luckily, I've done a fair bit of work and I'm still doing a, a bit of work in this space because it's only been recently that I've actually understood where that fear of um, 
like I guess dropping my shield really like you know anything like that in terms for me dropping my shield is the bravest thing I can do because I can mask so well at anything else that I want to do I'm, I'm at, like most women who have got pending ADHD diagnoses uh <laughs> we're pretty good at masking um yeah. how we feel and and you know it may not be just that there could be other things at play uh, almost certainly but um being perceived uh, as who I am is probably the scariest thing for me. Um, so, you know, it's not that I'm not an authentic, uh, transparent person. I probably am to a fault. But when people perceive me um, past the layer that I'm wanting to put out that day, uh, that's uncomfortable. So I find that if I put, if I want to put something on stage that's, that's not, for example, just like comedic or silly, um, that's uh, a bit more serious, for example, that would be me potentially putting a side of myself out there that I haven't prior that's open for me to be uh, perceived at a, at a greater level. In fact, you know, there may be that whole they're not laughing with me, maybe they'll laugh at me, which is terrifying. Yeah. There's me, um, you know, being being laughed at. I'm an emotional human. I'm a cancer. I'm a, oh. I'm a cancer Scorpio cancer, for God, God's sake. Yeah. Um, Good Lord. Like, oh, water. Uh, <laughs> But, but yeah, like in terms of like being brave, like that for me is the bravest thing that I can do. Like yeah. I'll jump out of a plane before I tell you I love you. Yeah. But yeah. In fact, I'll probably jump out of a plane to get away from you telling me you love me. <laughs> uh, so, but we don't have time to go into that um, because that's the whole of therapy that's involved. But yeah, um, I don't know, in terms of finding how to, like what is the thing that scares you? And it doesn't have to be like spiders or it can be you know it can be have to be you know what I mean like yeah it's good to it's good to try and um do do things that that scare you even no matter how small they are because you might find that maybe the scary thing isn't as big a deal in other people's heads as it is as it is in yours absolutely and look this is where I mean we all we all create stories and narratives and that is a self-protective mechanism that humans have and it, it serves a purpose and it keeps us safe but there comes a point in adulthood where if we're lucky because again this is speaking to my privilege as someone who has been able to be in circles and communities over the last 20 or 30 years where I have been supported and I have been encouraged and I've had mentors and I've had therapists and I've had friends and I've had coaches and you know I've had all of that is support around me to not just show me what a life can look like when you choose to live in that really authentic version, but who also show me the really shitty stuff that can come up for you because mm. it's not all fucking sunshine and rainbows when we make these decisions. But I think what most of those women have said to me over the years is like, it's, it's worth it. Mm. It's worth it. And I saw, I mean, it's a, I don't know who the quote is from originally, but someone I know got a tattoo a while ago and it says comfort is a slow death. And I just, that really resonated with me because as a human being, I have no interest in ticking a box and being like, ha I've done it. Like that's, that's just not who I am as a person. And so to continue to push myself. And like you said, this is where it doesn't matter if it's a big fear or a small fear. There are opportunities for all of us to be like, what's something that would make me a little bit uncomfortable? What's mm -hmm. something, and that can be having a difficult conversation that can be performing on stage, but this commitment that you have to show up as who you are and to now be peeling back that layer and acknowledging that this is actually really scary for me maybe to take some of the, the comedy away because comedy is an amazing shield mm -hmm. because then when people laugh you're like well that's what I was trying to get them to do whereas mm -hmm. there can be you know and I, I certainly understand this as well that's why I love to stand up so much mm. because I was getting to talk about things and say things that I really believed but it was all being done you know just jokes <laughs> it was always in that context and it was kind of playing this role or playing this character so that there was always this bit of a wedge Yes. Mm. And what's so hard, I think, in the creative industries, whether it's as a writer or as a performer, a singer, a dancer, whatever that is, is that art is and always will be subjective. 
And there is a gap between what we create, what we embody, how we share it, and then how it's received by the audience. And you would know, you know, you could have three shows in a row and the first night you get a standing ovation and the second night it's crickets. Like we, there's just so many unknowns. Mm. And to get to this place where you can continue to show up and take that risk without the fear of the possible consequences really holding you back is is huge. I, I mean, I think you'll find that most people who are like, you know, in the wings waiting to like do the thing, like, you know, regardless, are also still experiencing, and you'll know this from being there with your butterflies and your nerves, um, you know, are still experiencing that that imposter syndrome or Absolutely. are still experiencing that fear. Um, but it's it's it's, you know, I don't know what how whatever you need to do to get through it, strike a power pose, like do some breathing, yeah. like whatever you need to do to get um through that and and you know the same thing goes for uh, as you said like a, a hard conversation or a job interview um if we didn't push ourselves to go through that door um then we're yeah we're just going to be sitting in that in that comfort zone um so yeah and my I guess uh trying and do, doing all these different things is is pushing through a lot of a lot of different doors. Some days it's literally just getting up to be able to do the freelance digital marketing that I do, which is the thing that actually pays the bills because also BT dubs uh, performing for me is not a full-time gig because yeah. that's a huge hustle, but yeah. Yeah. Like it's, um, I'm sure it's, it's real, it's relatable across all fronts, but I think especially as women, um, we will often just listen to that little demon on the shoulder that's like now nah, you're not good enough to do this or they're just gonna laugh at you or <laughs> no and look most of my clients um especially over the last year when I've I've started to attract and find a lot of clients or they found me rather who work in quite high-powered executive type roles CEOs of global brands you know like some 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 big names some heavy hitters obviously who I'm not going to disclose but one of the questions they asked me is how do I deal with this imposter syndrome? Mm. And I'm like, you don't, you just keep going despite it. Because I don't think that for a lot of people, there is this like level of success that they're going to get to and be like, oh, see, I knew all along I wasn't an imposter. Because sometimes that, that narrative or that belief is so deeply ingrained. And I also think that we need to acknowledge the fact that we live in a patriarchal and a capitalist society that relies to some extent on people feeling bad about themselves in order to function and that there are for many people these huge layers especially for women in these types of roles where they don't believe that they they have a seat at the table they don't you know even when they know they've earned it they can look at their resume they can look at the years of effort and the work and the time that they've put into it the sacrifice and all of that they still sometimes think like any day now I'm going to be found out mm. well, that lose this job. I, I can't remember the exact number it's something like 65 like percent if men have 65 percent of of the skills required yeah uh, in a job they'll apply for it whereas women need like 85 to 90 please like I don't know we can probably cite cite the exact um one but it was a vast difference between men and women in actually applying for a job um just because yeah women are like no I'm not good enough whereas men are like yeah I've got a shot uh yeah so it was like a, a really yeah it's a it's, it's dire actually because it's like yeah. the, the difference in how women perceive themselves obviously uh you know <laughs> I almost said not all men uh but you know what I'm trying to say <laughs> I do and look I had a client years ago who had a background in theater so she was willing to kind of play along and when she would have to do these things where she was reaching out and asking for things I told her like she used to put a sock in her pants mm. and she would swagger into her office and she would sit there and she would manspread and she would type these emails out and she adopted this alter ego and she left work early when she wanted to. And it was just this really fun way for her to start to play with. How would I approach this differently mm. if I had all of this kind of backing me, everything telling me I deserve to be here. And it, it's, it, it's a huge difference. So so in everything that you're doing, because you're, you know, you're putting yourself out there a lot, you're pushing yourself, you're working through these fears, which can have a huge toll on our nervous system. It can have a huge toll on our health and our well-being. It can be positive stress, but stress can be stress to some extent. 
And I know that you are obviously a huge advocate for self-care and taking care of yourself. How do you balance that? Because I know that for me personally, I tried for years to become this like calm person who could meditate. And then at some point in my forties, I was like, fuck it. Like I work hard. I play hard. I rest hard. Like I just do everything hard and it works out most of the time these days. Like, you know, I occasionally have a crash, but I can generally see it coming. And I, when it does happen, I don't beat myself up. I don't berate myself. I don't push through. But what has that process been like for you of getting to know yourself in these different ways and starting to recognize what it is that you actually need? And I guess like, what's been hard about that? I think it's probably worth me noting that I, um, I've intentionally created a life for myself and a lifestyle in which I can give myself access to self-care and time Um, by that. I, uh, and by choice, childless. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, me preaching for people to go and, you know, take a break when they need it and whatnot is all well and good, but I understand a lot of people with kids can't do what I can do. Um, but, you know, there's there are pros and cons to having uh, no children. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's not my pros, but, you know, uh, the con- <laughs> um, I'm also solo by choice. I live by myself. So I do have a lot of... Um, privilege in the fact that I I can maintain my own space and by that I don't necessarily mean my physical space um, but you know my emotional space and my ability to take a time out um I also crash hard just as hard as and you know like sometimes it's it's just you might have have had a full week of, of work and then had to go and perform and be on a lot um, it might surprise people to know that I'm actually a very uh, extroverted introvert yeah. Um, so I don't actually get energy from being around people. It uh, it's so silly because I mean you think I would have chosen something else, um, but I definitely need me time. I and I need a lot of it, especially since being by myself for approximately six months in lockdown. Like actually, yeah. I've become more uh, more I than E for sure. <laughs> so, um, it's been hard. Like uh, I've had, uh, I had moments where I was uh, like, cause I, I've, I've been through a lot of emotional changes in the last couple of years. And I guess um, I, I experienced fatigue in a different way. Also getting older. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So acceptance is kind of hard to come by when you're living <clears throat> life that is um, purposely made to, to be able to be busy and flexible, but sometimes you're just really tired yeah you need to stop and it's like but I set myself up for this I should be doing this um, I'm an, a mad um, fitness person like I, I love um, I'm crazy I love working out and being as active as possible um, something I would have never thought in my 20s I would do but come my 30s I was like yeah I get it um, Me too. <laughs> yeah it's wild to think how it's changed but with that comes that fatigue as well mm-hmm. but then beating myself up when I can't be as active as I'd like to be is a real thing so like you you mentioned acceptance um, and it's just taken a really long time to accept some days you're just going to be tired. Yeah. Um, some days you're going to not be able to give it your all. Um, it's okay to give it 50% or nothing if you need to. Like as long as you can do the bare minimum, also give yourself kudos for that. Yeah. Because it's bloody hard sometimes to do that and um, also give yourself kudos when you go and do the thing and you give it a hundred percent too I think a lot of the time we're like you know down on ourselves when we can't do the thing and we're like trying to buck ourselves up but we forget to actually congratulate ourselves when we have the opposite yeah like oh yeah no this was what I was supposed to be doing yeah like actually no you you know you 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 did the thing that's amazing um so yeah, I, I very much uh, I'm, I'm, uh, balance is a big thing, and it's hard to find. And uh, at the moment, I think I, I, everyone's got a bit of a time famine going on, so um, it's it's it is hard to find a, a balance. I struggle, but uh, I think it's for me, it's just accepting whether or not um, where I am, accepting where I am in the moment that yeah. I'm at, having a real thing that I've had to learn. <laughs> yeah, and look, fear fear of missing out for me is a huge thing. <laughs> Um, social media, that is definitely, that is definitely something that, that, you know, really brings up for me. 
Um, and I'm, I'm just, I think I've become so much more aware of my own capacity and I'm aware of the choices I can make that increase and maintain my capacity. Like for me, getting sleep, drinking water, eating good food several times a day, moving mm -hmm. like the very, very basic, treat myself like a toddler, make myself a sticker chart for those kind of non-negotiables that need to be the foundation but I know even for me, like I've just booked a concert for next year and then the show and then this and that, like all these things and both my bank account and my energy are like, whoa, Nelly, like slow down, you know? Um, and I think that that's something for me, certainly following the pandemic, because that was such a harsh, like, no, <laughs> like no fun for anyone for years. There's this part of me that's like, oh my God, what if it happens again and it's worse and it lasts for like, you yeah. know, like it's hard for me not to go there somewhere. Um, and then even with bands, I was joking the other day that some of the concert tickets I bought for next year, I'm like, these people are getting old. Like these yeah. bands that, I, you know, I'm like, they could uh -huh. like, and they have not lived uh, healthy lifestyles, many of them, you know, and I'm like, they could cack it at any moment or I could cack it at any moment. And so there's this urgency to my life at times that is it's this like constant challenge to find the sweet spot there because I actually quite like living my life with a little mm. bit of urgency because it is fucking precious and it does go very 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 fast you know people say that to you when you're in your teens and your 20s and they're like oh it's gonna go so fast and I'm every time I turn the page on my calendar right now I'm just like what the fuck? oh how? yeah like how? Not that Christmas decorations are out in supermarkets right now and I was just like fuck off I was like, what? <laughs> no, no. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> no. All right. So yeah, time time goes way too fast now. Look, it's a privilege though. Like, yeah. You know, we're in our 40s. Like it's 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 a privilege to get here. Um and yeah, it's that whole live every day like it's your last because someday to be right, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Motivational poster with a whale tail on it, we need to add. But but it's true. It's also really true. Life's a gift. That's why they call it a, pre a, pre a present. No, do you know what mine is? It's Wayne Gretzky and it says you miss a thousand or you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yeah. And like, that's so true. It's so, it's, it's cliche, but it's bloody true. It is. Like, well, that's why they're cliches. That's why we all know these sayings is because yeah. they make sense. So, yeah. you know, there's something wrong with that. Embroider it on a pillow, hang it on your wall, live, love, laugh, do whatever you have to do yeah. to like, you don't get another course. go. I mean, unless no. you believe in karma, which is fine. Um, but, uh, you know, if you don't, unless you believe in, a, in an afterlife, I guess, then maybe there's some solace. But as far as I'm concerned, I only get one go on the roundabout. Yeah. <laughs> like, go for it, you know? Yeah. So, speaking of time, mm. I knew this would go very quickly. Um, there's a million things I haven't asked you about. Like the synchronized swimming, which, by the way, that was, that immediately I was like, how can I join the clams? Um, I so wanted to be a part of it. It was so far away from me. And I was just like, I'm not going to be able to make this training and stuff. Keep an eye out because the clams will be back next year. Yes. Melbourne's least professional synchronized swimming team, um, BT Dubs. That's that will let, we just let people wonder on that one. Yeah, good. I'm going to definitely be, and I definitely will be keeping an eye out because if there's ever a chance for me to get into a pool and splash around super not gracefully, um, while checking on water, I mean, they actually look a heap better than that. I didn't make it sound very appealing. It's actually beautiful to watch. Um, <laughs> but that was another sport that I was always like, oh, I want to be a synchronized swimmer. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm built like a brick shithouse. Like I, that's, <laughs> that was not the body type that they wanted in synchronized swimming teams when I was young, you know? We welcome everyone in the clams. Yeah, good. Everyone join the clams. Let's go have fun with the clams. Everybody, the whole of Melbourne, join the clams. <laughs> oh my God. Can you even imagine? That would be wild. Yeah. And now now my brain's <laughs> like, hmm, how do we make this happen? How do I start a local synchronized swimming club down here on the peninsula? Oh my God, you should do it. Oh my God, maybe I will do it. This is the problem with this podcast is that every single episode I'm like, well, I've got new plans. And Next minute you'll be taking burlesque classes down the peninsula. They do have them. Oh, there's heaps down here. Yeah. And actually one of my very, very good friends, Jess McLeish, who's been a guest on this podcast, she was very active and quite well known within the burlesque community for a long time. Um, and she now works in embodied dance and she's president Amazing. of the Surf Sisters. And it's been amazing to watch that kind of evolution for her where the context has changed, but it's all been about stepping more into a relationship with herself. 
And I think that's, that's kind of the theme of it is that what I see happening in my forties and for women in their forties is that first of all, you care a lot less what other people think. Oh, so much less. Because you have this history, like you have an actual, like, there's like data to look back on and be like, well, I spent the first X number of my years listening to everybody else. And that didn't work out so well. Like that didn't make me happy. That didn't make me fulfilled. That didn't, you know, whatever. So you stop caring. Mm. And then you just, you know, and I think it's a natural onslaught of that not caring as much, but I've just reached this point where, I mean, the tagline for this podcast is I want to talk to women who are willing to fuck around and find out Mm -hmm. like Fatho. That would be my mantra for my life is like, oh, well, let's just fuck around and find out, you know, and sometimes I find out and it's not good and I wish I hadn't fucked around. But generally speaking, even those moments of quote unquote failure just lead me to the next like, okay, well, that didn't work out so well. How do I tweak this? How do I change Mm -hmm. it? How do I abandon it? What's what's the next action that I want to try? What's the next thing I want to move towards? But that freedom. Yeah, that's a really good one to keep in mind for relationships as well. Yeah. Know, like, you know, if Absolutely. you learn something. <laughs> well, and you do, you know, and you learn so much about yourself in that context. And the not caring about what people think of you is the biggest gift that I've ever had in my life. And it's just gotten stronger and strong I mean obviously there's people I care about like good friends and and some of my family members if they came to me and were like hey your behavior mm, not so cool I'd be like oh yeah okay like let's talk about this I value their opinion and their feedback mm-hmm. and their input but like that's a really small group of people these days yeah really it's small. a good it's kind of that whole if, if you wouldn't ask them for advice then why worry about what they think about you yeah why would you listen to their opinion that's yeah. a that's a they see there's another great cliche yeah. That I'm going to get embroidered on a cushion or something for my bed. Yeah, cross stitch. I think across yeah. the back of the toilet door. Yes. Mm. Oh, yeah. See, there's my new hobby. I'll be on Amazon in five seconds being like, please send me all the embroidery supplies. Actually, no, I have turn a it into a business and then sell them on Etsy. See? Mm. No, I'm not all about that hustle life, but you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm an ADHD amateur. It's going to be making money <laughs> off the side hustle somehow. Um, It has been so fun talking to you. Um, I'm so glad that you're here today. This has been a great conversation. And I'm, I just get really excited when I get to share these women who have inspired me in my own life, even though I don't know that, like most of them are like, who, me, what? And I'm like, yeah, you know, um, because you're out there and you're fucking around and finding out. And I think that that's something all of us could do with a little bit more of. So you might break a few bones, but you'd be right. Yeah, I mean, bones heal. Like, really, they do. I mean, they heal slowly when you're in your 40s kind of thing. It's a little bit slower than it used to be. But I think it's still worth the risk. And so I just just remember in lockdown, I just want to say something about you. I remember you uh sending me a video of dancing in your lounge room because we were, there was this moment of just trying to get people to dance because you enjoyed it. Was enjoy- I wearing leg warmers, wasn't I? Yeah. <laughs> you sent me a video of you dancing in your lounge room, uh, just experiencing joy in that moment. Uh, and I'm sure it was, it was Maniac from Flashdance. Yeah. It was a Which, This me. is so weird because this whole last week, I don't listen to the radio hardly ever, but there's been something weird with my Bluetooth in the car. So when I've been in the car, I'm like, oh, fuck, I can't deal with my phone right now. So I'll just put the radio on. And I switch through stations because I have ADHD. So I'm like, one, two, three. And I just like rotate through them. I hardly ever finish a whole song. But like three or four times this week on different stations at different times, I've been hearing all the songs from Flashdance. Amazing. You should been like, this is a sign. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what it's a sign for. My husband's going to listen to this episode and be like, no. You it's a sign for you to go and dance around your lounge room in your leg warmers, I think. Yeah, that's, I'm, that will be on my schedule today after I go teach some rope flow this afternoon. So I'm going to put that on there. Do you have a piece of advice? I mean, this whole episode has been a great piece <laughs> of advice, which I think is really incredible. 
but for anyone who's listening to this and you know we're talking about find the thing that scares you find the thing that would make you a bit uncomfortable and they know what that is like they're sitting there listening to this and they're like like I know in my gut my intuition I already know what that thing is and they just they're just right at that moment where they're like oh how do I take a step forward here Mm. what Um, would you say to nudge them forward I, I think one of the things that I've had quite a few conversations with people about is they're worried um, that they're not good enough to do the thing, um, which is a little different to the imposter syndrome. It's like genuinely worrying that their skill is holding them back. Um, but one way to approach anything you're scared of is to wor- not worry about how good you are at it and just see whether you can just enjoy it. Yeah. without worrying about being good at it, without worrying about turning it into anything that requires you know, monetization or anything like that. Just go and try and see if you enjoy it first. Yeah. Before worrying about being good at it. It's like the whole, um, you know, I mean, somebody once said, oh, I can't do meditation or mindfulness. Now I can't really either. But like, you know, I can't do 10 minutes of that. And it's like, yeah, but you also can't just go and immediately deadlift 150 kilos, can you? No. Like it requires, tra- why are you worried about doing the thing so well and good? Just go and do something and see if you enjoy it first. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, you don't really have a lot to lose. Yeah, hmm. and it's it's um, a mantra I've shared with a lot of my clients because I'm an ADHD coach, obviously. So is it's okay to have a hobby. <laughs> Yeah. Like it's actually it's okay. okay just to do shit because you enjoy it. And it's okay. Like for me, I know it's okay to get like super obsessed with something for a couple of months and then never revisit it or talk about it again. That's fine. I don't have to make a career or a life out of all these things that I find interesting. And I've gotten really comfortable with the idea at being, I'm like good at a lot of stuff. I'm not great at a lot of stuff. I'm not the best at pretty much anything except being me. But like, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm, I'm okay with this. Like I really am. I try to see life as this, (laughs) this like smorgasbord in front of me. And I'm like, I just want to taste everything a little bit. Well, Jack of all trades is kind of, you know, I guess the the thing that Mm. it's used almost disparagingly, I guess, because it means you're not a specialist in anything, but the full phrase isn't just Jack of all trades, master of none. It's Jack of all trades, master of none is better than being master of one. Like that's the full phrase. I didn't know that. It's just, oh my God. Yeah. So if you reframe it that way into the phrase that it actually is, I can't tell you who wrote it. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, like it's, I mean, and some people will argue it's better to specialize in something, but there are people who just can't do that. So yeah. And if okay. you're someone that's okay, love yourself and just like be who you are, you know? I mean, if I'm having heart surgery, I want them to be a specialist, but other than that, <laughs> it's <laughs> you're like, well, I mean, that's like, there's, for me, it's medical. Anyone who's medical, I'm like, yeah. please be specialized. In what yeah, if my body. surgeon was like, oh, I do burlesque on the weekends, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're like, I watched this on YouTube. It's good. I got it. Like, don't <laughs> worry. I've got the video right here for how to do this, this operation. You'd be like, mm, maybe not. But other than that, you know, just, just go for it, I guess, really. Um, one more question that I really wanted to ask you, and it's a quick answer, I think, is of all the foods you have ever tried, what was what was the most amazing and what was the most disgusting? Oh, um, I will answer it really quickly. In terms of, I'll just use the 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 filter of it being a weird food. Yeah. Um, because yeah, so the most disgusting um, was uh, the rotten shark in mm-hmm. Iceland called yeah. kakal. Yeah, um, look that up. It's the Greenland Greenland shark and it's poisonous unless it rots. Um, and that was the only thing they had to eat in Iceland in the Viking age. And it smells like a bunch of cats had a party peeing on some fish. Uh, it's the most disgusting thing I've ever eaten. Um, and then something like gross but that was actually really nice Um it's a tie between um, if you ever get the chance to try a fried seahorse. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good salty beer snack. Um, yes, they're cute, but they're not endangered. They're just another fish. Yeah. And, um, they just look real cute. Um, and, yeah, I mean, 
in Shanghai, I had an amazing, um, a lot of people can't get their stomach around blood jelly. Yep. Uh, it's jelly maybe, but it, but like if you ever get the chance to do like a, a Sichuan, like blood jelly kind of soup, that's a time that is, it sticks into my mind as just the most delicious, most fragrant, um, uh, all sensory experience. <laughs> yeah, I would try that for sure. And may, like for people that are listening who are like, I don't know what to do to get out of my comfort zone, go to a new restaurant, try a new cuisine. That's a like, great just, way, a like, great way to start. Yeah. Yeah. Just order something different at your normal restaurant, like just little baby steps towards trying new things and seeing that you'll be okay, no matter whether you like it or not. Like that's, you know, maybe that's a great place to start and food is life. So um, now I'm really hungry. My stomach just growled so loud that I'm pretty sure even Zoom can't filter it out, but uh, we'll see. Where can people find you? I will be linking everything in the show notes, but where are the best places to get in touch? Yeah, if you'd like me to help you with your digital marketing, um, but I don't actually have any room for extra clients, but I'm on Shani Hyde, C-H-A-N-I-E, shanihyde.com. That's my day job, but you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I work mainly with tech startups, by the way. Um, I am also by night. (laughs) (laughs) My burlesque career, it's um, pomdeterra.com or thepomdeterra on Instagram. Uh, they're probably the best places to to grab me. Um, yeah, if you Google me, you'll find some fun tidbits. Uh. <laughs> There's so many great videos on her Instagram. Please go, please go have a, please, please scroll back as well to lockdowns when she did the lookdowns. Oh uh, yeah, every Friday night I'd get a bit drunk and and do a uh, a different character from the 90s. Yeah, and I would watch you in bed. Some in of which have come ended great. up on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah they have. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. And thank you to everyone who has tuned into the Sisters in Stoke podcast. I am your host, Megan Burks. If you are enjoying the show, please remember to like, subscribe, and share the podcast. It really does help people out, especially when they're just getting started. Uh, until next time, stay stoked, and I will see everybody soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to Sisters in Stoke. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends. If you or somebody you know would be an excellent Stokes person, feel free to get in touch. All of the information you need is in the show notes. Until next time, I'm your host, Megan Burks, reminding you to find your Stoke.